Nima Well, brethren, we come to the last of our four sessions from uh, Paul's epistle to the Colossians under the theme of uh, Christ above all. And um, the way I began is the way I'd like to conclude, and that is by saying that if all we're doing is going through the book section by section, just wanting to know its meanings and so on, uh, it's fairly easy for us to uh, go home and still just continue doing the way we've always done things. Uh, I think this ought to be an opportunity to, to ask ourselves questions, to search ourselves, to just process the question, am I ministering with Christ above all? Is, is he the, the sum total of, of uh, my ministry? Is what bothers me and gives me sleepless nights the absence of Christ in my life, in the lives of those who are near me, my spouse, my children, uh, the fellow church members, and those of us who are ministers within the context of the church with a, a, a growing army of uh, co-workers or church staff. Again, just that aspect. Um, is that what's bothering me? Or um, is that what is making me rejoice when I'm now seeing much of Christ in uh, individual lives that uh, they, they've caught on to the, the seed, the kernel um, that makes up the Christian faith and the Christian life. Because really, that was the issue here with respect to the Apostle Paul as he wrote this letter. He, he really wasn't just giving a list of do's and don'ts. He was seeking to bring back a church to its proper foundation, which is Christ. Not necessarily that all of them had gone astray, but there was a subtle shift that was taking place because wrong voices were being heard. And Paul wanted to arrest that so that God's people might build their lives on Christ. So in this first session, we saw how uh, the gospel triumphs um, provide the, uh, the foundation that builds uh, Christ's kingdom. Uh, we saw again how that foundation is secured in the Lord Jesus Christ in contrast to so many voices that are giving people both inside and outside the church a, a false view of holiness, a false view of godliness. And so uh, in the last session, we talked about how that looks like on the outside, uh, how those kinds of changes are taking place. But again, we began with the foundation. Uh, that which has happened to us in Christ Jesus. 
And uh, those of us who are pastors, don't short-circuit the process. Let it be truly a spiritual work that God is doing in changing people from the inside out. So that even when you are called to your fathers, you've left the scene of your labors, or even in terms of just retirement, you've moved away from the place where you were laboring. Something of Christ is what has remained behind. And that's what is helping people as individuals, as families, and as a church to grow. So we saw that in the taking off, we saw that in the putting on, we saw that in those relationships that matter the most to us, where we spend most of our time, it was Christ, Christ, and Christ. Well, as we come into our third and last session, I've entitled it The Spreading of the Aroma of God or The Spreading of the Aroma of Christ. And basically what I want us to see in this last chapter are the nuts and bolts of the work of spreading Christ's kingdom. The nuts and bolts. Um, In other words, Really, it's, it's faithful individuals who spread Christ above all everywhere. It's faithful individuals, sometimes in their own small way, unnoticed by so many uh, who tend to only be transfixed on those who occupy the pulpit with five-star talents and gifts. Uh, And yet it's in their faithfulness that Christ is exalted. You remember that we began uh, in our first session with the gospel, and I said it's the software. Well, now we are coming to the hardware. (laughs) We're coming to the individuals that we see, that we relate to, but they are fueled by the gospel. The the combustion chamber in their souls is again the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. But this time, I just want us to concentrate a little bit more on that which we are seeing and that which we are dealing with. And first of all, in um, verse 2, downwards, what we are seeing is again something we touched on earlier, the place of prayer the place of prayer. And, uh, we, but again, it's not just the place of prayer, but the place of prayer as the handmaid of preaching, the two going together. And you have it there. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I, somebody who's in prison, may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. The, the, the place of prayer. Paul is in prison. He's taught these brethren how to be Christ-centered 
But notice, he is not viewing them as patients in a hospital. He is viewing them as fellow soldiers, partners in spreading the aroma of Christ. And I think it's crucial for us as individuals who are involved in preaching to, to learn to see Christ's church in that dual light. On one hand, you've got individuals who are at different levels of spiritual growth, wrestling with all kinds of issues. And yes, you want to, to keep instructing them, to, to help them spiritually, to build their lives around Christ. But that's only half of the truth about them. The other half is they are part of this body with gifts that the Lord has given them that they ought to be using. And hey, there's one thing you can take for granted about them, and it is this. They can pray. They can pray. And consequently, they can come alongside that which is your ministry by way of prayer. And that's what Paul is doing here. He doesn't know these individuals individually, at least a lot of them, um, because he's not been the one primarily involved in the establishment of this church. But he knows that as an apostle, he has a place in their prayers. And he asks them to simply continue doing the same, and especially to be praying for him or for them. And with respect to praying for them, there are at least a few issues that he lays before them. One of them is what he calls a door, to that God may open a door for the word. And in a sense, you can understand he's in prison. And so it's not like simply going up a small anthill and seeing a huge population going before you and beginning to, to declare the, the good news. It is hoping that in the process of seeking justice and in relating to uh, prisoners, some doors may open, effectual doors, <coughs> souls getting saved even there. But again, it could also have implied further doors opening in terms of him being released from prison and going on to, to preach. Uh, that, that needs to be a regular item of prayer, especially in the Western world. As I said, you know, back home, uh, we, we are picking low-lying fruits. The, the doors seem to be open everywhere. It's, uh, um, it's almost too open, if I could put that way, <laughs> because even that which is false, therefore, is, is rushing in. But uh, the, the doors are there. Uh, the, you can put a gospel message in a regular newspaper and you know, it's, 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 it's accepted, it's printed and, 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 and people read. You, you go into the college and university campuses and you can speak to almost anybody and they, they gather around you and uh, you, you can speak to them. You still have a culture of, of church-going people, um, a third easily of my Sunday morning congregation consists non-believers. So I literally 
catch fish in the bathtub in my home, so to speak, and you are catching them there. So open doors are everywhere. It's not like that here. And therefore, pray for open doors. Pray that the Lord might provide these in answer to prayer. The second aspect that he asked for prayer about here is communication, the ability to communicate the gospel clearly. He says the, um, that, first of all, to declare the mystery of Christ, and then he says in verse 4, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Uh, yes, ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit who opens the eyes of the blind to behold the truth of the gospel. But it's very easy for us as preachers and those who are sharing the gospel to be a hindrance even for that by perhaps encumbering the gospel with so many things that are just not the gospel itself. And in the process, putting people off when really we ought to be using the opportunity to point them uh, to our Lord Jesus Christ. So this aspect of speaking clearly, uh, the speaking clearly also has to do with uh, the, the situation in which people are. Uh, for instance, in Bible times, uh, there was some slight difference between the way the, the apostles approached the gospel when speaking to the Gentiles and the way they approached the gospel in preaching to the Jews. The Jews, they largely fell back on the Old Testament scriptures, which were constantly pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. With the Gentiles, they were mindful of this blank slate that the Gentiles had with respect to the richness of the Old Testament, and therefore they approached it slightly differently. Again, just learning that level of clarity and connectivity, therefore, needs, let me use the word, uh, spiritual sensitivity. Spiritual sensitivity. I'm trying to use the, uh, avoid the phrase spiritual common sense, because sometimes it makes it look like people are dumb. But it's, it's, it's spiritual sensitivity as we are sharing uh, the, the gospel. And isn't it only right when Jesus was bringing in uh, the first disciples, uh, Peter and others, he spoke in terms of making them fishers of men. That's, what, that's the phrase he used, fishers. I will make you fishers of men. And any fisherman will tell you that they, they bear in mind what kind of fish they want to catch, and then they carry the right uh, pieces of equipment, whether it's going to be finish, fish, fishing line, or they're going to carry a net, or whether they're going to go at night with a lamp so that they can attract the, the fish to themselves, or whether it will be during the day, and so forth. All that is dependent on the fish they want to, to catch. So whereas our gospel is, is the same, the heart of it is the same, 
we again bear in mind who are we reaching to. And that's not just mathematics. It's just praying that the Lord will help us to be that sensitive as we share the good news. The other aspect that comes out here is simply living wisely. Living wisely. Uh, We see that in verse 5 and verse 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Again, you can't miss that Paul is thinking evangelistically. That's what he's talking about here. And he is saying that part of that has to do again with spiritual wisdom. Spiritual wisdom. Learning to relate to non-believers in a wise way so that you're not unnecessarily putting um, hindrances uh, before you. And when he's talking about a speech that's gracious, gracious, a speech that is seasoned with salt, it's, it's almost giving you the impression it's, it's that gentleness, that Christ-like gentleness. And I'm afraid to say most of us, we fail to exalt Christ because we are just argumentative. Terribly argumentative. The first thing we think about when we're dealing with a non-Christian is how to rub them the wrong way uh, or, or pulling a dog by the ear uh, or a dog by the tail or something. That's, that's just what we're thinking about. And, and in the process, yes, we get them angry and then we think they are just rejecting the gospel when really it's our obnoxious personality that is marketing a wrong Christianity altogether. And I think it's it's good for us to simply learn this grace, this grace. And and it's it's, it's genuine spirit-born humility. That's really what this is, spirit-born humility. Uh, to recognize that I am who I am by the grace of God. I wasn't clever so that everybody else is a fool. I'm actually one of them. God reached out to me by grace, and therefore I ought to do the same with others. And I'm, I'm almost certain that I speak about obnoxious characters in the Christian church who are like this. I'm sure all of you, can think of such individuals that have made you want to hide when they are supposedly evangelizing. You you wish the ground would open up under you, just sink into that hole and disappear. Because you're thinking to yourself, no, we, we are here just shooting ourselves in the foot. That's all we're doing. We're not helping people uh, to come to Christ. Well, here again is the spreading of the aroma of Christ. It's the way we live, the way we live. 
And you will agree with me that a lot of people come to faith in Christ over the long haul. And often it's as they are relating to Christians, genuine Christians. And they are looking, thinking, this guy is different. The way he's responding to situations, there's a grace about him. And, and, and it, it causes them to want to sit down with you and listen. Sit down with you and listen. Well, that's one aspect of the spreading of the aroma of Christ. And let's face it, this aspect of prayer and joined with preaching, and then this aspect of believers being just salt and light out there in the world, just these two will do so much for the cause of the gospel. If we can just prioritize that. If we can only say, Christians, live like Christians. Come on. Just, just be what you claim to be as you're out there. That in itself will be owned by the Spirit of God and bring in so many souls. But then the last category is uh, these many gospel partnerships that uh, meant so much to the Apostle Paul. So many of them who are working together, working in different ways, again, around the gospel. Remember, the gospel is the, the software, but here are individuals who are the hardware working around, and the place is full of names. I'll pick on a few as we go along, um, but I'll just quickly give out the names. I have them here listed. Tichikas, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Jesus, who's also called Justus, Epaphras, Luke, Demas, Nympha, Archippus. I haven't even mentioned Barnabas, who's also just mentioned literally in passing uh, because of uh, John, Mark, and so on. We can multiply all these names, but this was the, the engine that was keeping this great machinery of the gospel going around the person and ministry of the Apostle Paul. You can multiply these with respect to the other apostles, and you can multiply these with respect to many other individuals that were preaching, and you can see how the aroma of Christ was being multiplied. The main thing that hits me as I look at these names is simply the word faithful. It comes out no less than twice here with the first two individuals. Uh, Tychicus is referred to as he is a beloved and faithful minister and fellow servant. Onesimus in verse 9 is also referred to as Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. Uh, it seems to me that that's one ingredient. If, if, if Christians can just learn to be faithful, 
And that's the commendation that the Lord gives, isn't it, in the book of Matthew. And when he's talking about uh, the commendation that the master who went away and has come back to get an accounting from all his servants, that's the phrase. Well done, good, a heart which is good, and faithful servant. Good and faithful servant. And then the one who messed up bad kind is a wicked, wicked heart, and lazy servant. In other words, absconding from work, absconding from what ought to be done. And there's that aspect that is definitely caught in these two brothers, Tychicus and Onesimus, just faithfulness. Any pastor will tell you what a joy it is to, to be a preacher of God's word in the context of the church and to have faithful brothers and sisters who are working alongside you. you you're not constantly pushing them. They, they, they are like a, um, they, there's an advert that I, I saw. It's no longer there in Zambia for Duracell. And it was some drama. And there were quite a number of other little toys that were also drumming. And all the other toys finally gone, 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 gone. <laughs> And then the Duracell one is still going, still going, still going. Those are the kind of Christians you want. They are faithful. They know what they're supposed to be about, and they are busy with that work. So that's one aspect that uh, we, we see there. The other aspect is uh, in just the different things that they are involved in. And in this particular case, um, Titicus particularly, on one hand, is one who is a fellow minister, a faithful minister, a fellow servant rather, and so on. But Paul says there, I have sent him to you with this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Similarly, at the end of verse 9, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So the role there was purely that of communication, just taking news to the brethren and therefore enabling them to also pray. So it's not preaching. It's not even preaching the gospel. Although for Titicus, he was also a preacher, but was primarily simply taking the news of what's happening in the kingdom. Uh, today we speak in terms of newsletters and, and prayer letters and, uh, and reports and, and so on. To have other people taking care of those things and therefore fueling the combustion chamber for prayers. What a difference it makes. We also have um, the, what Paul refers to here as the... the only ones who were Jews who were with him and just how it meant so much to Paul. The, the, the sense of refreshment. He uses the word, at least in the ESV, 
comfort to his own soul, just knowing they are there. In, in um, verse 11, it says, And Jesus, who is called Justus, and then it says, uh, These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. In other words, all the others would have been um, Gentiles. And then he says, and they have been a comfort to me. It's been a source of reassurance to him. That it's not like he has parted ways with fellow Jews. That this is a universal truth of the gospel. And here were fellow circumcised believers who were still with him. But also you have to bear in mind that most likely the kind of things that put Paul into trouble were related to the Jew-Gentile conflict. A lot of the Jews wanted him dead. They, They had become sworn enemies of Paul. A lot of them, even who were believers, were beginning to misunderstand what Paul was teaching and saying and so on. So it was quite a a difficulty. So to just have those who have, it's not quite an English word, I hope it is, stickability with you, through thick and thin, in the midst of all the misunderstandings, they, they are hanging there with you in the ministry in itself is a great help for the cause of the gospel. So Paul found something of this, and he was genuinely encouraged about that. I want to just bring out one or two others. Uh, One aspect of uh, this also is in terms of um, those that had backslidden and come back and those who might be okay with you now and might backslide later. You know, we have uh, John Mark here, the cousin of Barnabas, in verse 10, and we are told, please receive him. It's as though rumor had done its rounds that Paul was very upset with him. So he's saying, if he comes to you, please welcome him. You know, forget what happened. Things have changed, you know, sort of welcome him and so on. And then uh, you have Demas, who's mentioned in verse 14. Most likely this was before he got carried away with the world and consequently abandoned Paul. But again, you know, the, the spreading of the aroma of Christ is not suggesting perfection all around us. We will have some people we are really trusting in and they disappoint us. We have other people who disappoint us and they come back and we soldier on with them. All that is part of the game, so to speak. And anyone who's been in ministry long enough will realize that. That as much as, yes, we want all the Christian soldiers to be faithfully marching on to war, we will have casualties along the way. It's all part of the game. And then just one more, and uh, it's both men and women, both men and 
women. It's, it's a little difficult to figure out which of these names are male names and which ones are female names. But by the time you're getting to verse 15, you can see that at least there is a lady here playing the role of hospitality. Uh, we read, the greet, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Again, using the domestic context, a lot of the churches in the New Testament were not meeting in public facilities. Uh, they were sort of broken down and they were uh, meeting in, 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 in homes, in houses and so on. And um, the role of hospitality was all important. But it's not just in terms of meeting places. In terms of uh, visiting preachers in, in those days, and it's still the same now, you have preachers going one way and others going the other and so on as they're ministering in different places and so on. Again, homes mean uh, quite a lot in that respect. I'm not suggesting there's anything wrong with hotels and lodges and motels and so on, but just that aspect of uh, um, women playing their complementarian role in the midst of this work going forward. And all that is added in this uh, list of, of names. So as we think in terms of the spreading of the aroma of Christ, it's so varied as individuals are are playing their different roles and, and seeing this way going forward. And the Apostle Paul here is acknowledging that, is acknowledging that. Even from prison, he's, he's, he's simply mentioning these names in the midst of the greetings. Before I mention the very last one, uh, because it's a, it's a good place to sort of wrap up, uh, I just wanted to bring in this thought that, you know, often, especially when you're doing consecutive expository preaching, we sort of reach Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6, and something in us says, it's finished. It's finished. And so we sort of just quickly rest through here and, and hurry on to close. May I suggest to you to attempt to do character studies of these individuals that are often named in towards the end of these letters. Just character studies. There may not be a lot of information, but the little information that you have there, use it to challenge Christians. Because the kingdom of God goes forward today as it was going forward in those days. Yes, they were on camel backs and we are in jet planes. Agreed. But when you boil everything down, you will find that it is these kinds of issues. Issues of faithfulness. Issues of just being faithful in what may be considered mundane, but it's a really important part of the bigger outworking of the Lord's work. 
just being an ongoing encouragement to to those who are laboring in the word and laboring in doctrine when when others are abandoning ship and and going away uh, the the aspect of gifts the aspect of male and female roles and and so forth just opening those aspects out the, the encouraging those who who once backslid and when they've come back they're just assuming that you know i'm now just worth being on a shelf there's no usefulness on my part so just shelf at the back i blew it so only those that have been walking with the lord faithfully that the lord will use and so on again as you're opening up these character studies they're beginning to see themselves in the titicus and onesimus and aristarchus and uh, and and john mark and and so on they're beginning to see themselves and realizing you know what let me pull up my socks and be faithful until i die so don't close an epistle before the epistle closes <laughs> don't this is the the common life that was taking place as the uh, aroma of christ was being uh, spread this is how christ above all was being realized through the the hardware that's sitting right in front of you the hardware that's sitting right in front of you or oh, there's one more character and it is akipas at the end uh, what i find particularly instructive about him is uh, that he is being urged to fulfill his calling it's being urged there it is verse 17 and say to akipas see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the lord now it's possible that uh, he would have been an individual who took over from uh, epaphras as you know epaphras was really the person that through whom this church was planted so it's very possible that he then handed over to archippus and so on but it's it's just the fact that he is being exhorted by the apostle paul he's being he's being told uh, you know sort of uh, tie your belt and and keep plowing on because work needs to be done and i think brethren again um, there, there is something of this that is so important in the spreading of the aroma of christ i think sometimes those of us who are reformed in doctrine and um, that's my background I'm a reformed baptist we tend to err on the side of of uh, rather the sovereignty of god you know god has decreed all things and therefore he will do as he pleases that we we lose sight of human responsibility encouraging the brethren encouraging the brethren urging them on to do that which god has called them to do 
there's one tradition that if I wasn't a pastor by now, I probably would have tried to introduce uh, back home. But since I probably would be the beneficiary, I'm a little too uh, self-conscious not to do that. And, but I found it in America, they have what they call Pastor's Appreciation Month. <laughs> Pastor's Appreciation Month. And uh, once upon a time, I was preaching in one of the cities in the U.S., and it was in October, and that's the month that was put aside that way. And I've never forgotten how on each day, I don't know how the congregation did this, but on, on each day, some card or rather was uh, coming to, to the pastor with some information and message that was talking about how encouraging his ministry had been. And sometimes with very clear testimonies, uh, one-off testimonies and so forth. Um, and also the, the pastor's wife that month didn't even need to cook. Every day a meal was coming from one home or the other. And you can understand the temptation I had to go back and introduce, <laughs> introduce this in Zambia. Pastor's appreciation month. <laughs> One month, my wife not cooking. One solid month. Uh, you, you need to go on a treadmill the following month quite a bit to, to lose the, uh, the weight. But, but even without mechanizing that, uh, there are different means and ways in which if, if God's work is to be carried on, pastors, preachers, they need to hear that voice saying, fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. And think of Paul himself in prison. The, the, the brethren in, in Philippi sent Epaphroditus to go and be with him. Remember that. And, and he went to encourage Paul in prison, to encourage him. And uh, he, he, the, the man almost died in the process of doing this. But it, it was to encourage the, the apostle Paul. And we all need some measure of encouragement. We've just gone through two solid years of, of, uh, of COVID, isn't it? And it's, it's taken us through winding paths that we've never been before. I've never forgotten how one day when COVID hit, I was in America and I rushed home and you know, got there just before flights were canceled. The following day, the, there was closure of flights left, right, and center. And then the next day, I entered into church and the pews were empty. Empty. I mean, empty. I felt depressed. And I, I began wrestling with, Lord, what can I do in circumstances like this? And one of the things I did then was to begin a series of 19 letters to the congregation around the subject of death and dying, um, viruses and 
God's sovereignty and human responsibility around that and so on. And, 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 and that helped to sustain me through that initial impact. But one of the things I noticed is how everybody else seemed to have been oblivious of the fact that as one who preaches to a full auditorium where people are sitting on top of each other, it really impacted me seeing an empty church building, an empty parking lot. But even as we come to the end of, well, maybe not completely the end, but it's gone down quite a lot, it's possible for pastors to still be struggling in their spirits, not knowing what to do, especially because, again, there was a lot of misunderstandings among us, isn't it, over this particular period. And pastors would have been caught on one foot or the other, and people are still hurting in the church, and they themselves are sensitive to it. Again, pastors need encouragement. They do. They do. Apart from that, I don't know about you, but for me, every Monday, well, it didn't happen yesterday, but it's, it happens regularly. Every Monday, I'm depressed. <laughs> There's a, a pastor in the U.S. who always, or every Monday, puts this tweet that says, don't resign today. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I can interpret that statement this way. Fulfill the ministry that you've received from the Lord. Okay. And on Tuesday, I wake up and thinking, what was all that about? You know, uh, and so forth. Again, encouragement, encouragement. And one of the ways in which this comes through is through events like this. Pastors fraternals. Where we get together and just encourage one another. Because the aroma of Christ needs to still spread. It needs to spread. And we are the, the hardware. It's through us. Let's be faithful. Let's do our work. And may God honor our labors. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so is it Q&A again? Or I take my seat? <laughs> Gladly. <laughs> Nima, 